What's up, everyone, and welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 24. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and on today's episode, we have my friend Joshua Nesta, who is a certified gamma breathwork instructor, as well as a personal coach. This story from him right at the beginning of this podcast is super, super interesting. He has lived a lot of life in a short period of time on this earth, and I loved having him on to just kind of document a bit of his journey and what he's gone through to get to where he is. I think it's super, super useful. As well as near the end of the podcast, we have a quick little five-minute breathwork session that you can sink into if you feel so called. So I hope you enjoy this one, and before we dive into the episode, I just want to throw out a quick reminder you can visit my website which is www.throughtheveil.co and on there i have all of my courses that are available all of my guided meditations that are available and you can also book me directly for coaching one-on-one if that is something you want to do so that is available for you at www.throughtheveil.co you can find all that stuff here And without any further ado, let's just jump right into the episode. All right. Well, Josh, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being on. If you can uh, introduce yourself and then tell everyone just some of your story and how you've gotten to be where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you do and the the beautiful conversations that you you hold here. Um, So my name is Joshua. I grew up in... A small little town, Delray Beach in Florida, uh, normal family, middle class, everything was perfect and beautiful. Um, but then when I was seven years old, everything kind of like took a twist. Um, my mom used to work at Home Depot. And one day when she was working there, she lifted a box and it ended up really hurting her back. And the day after she actually couldn't even get up out of bed. She was crawling out of bed for weeks and weeks. And ultimately what happened, it turns out she herniated a few discs in her back and it completely threw her out. And that changed the rest of her life. Um, And before that, I was like, it was normal, you know, the the relationship with my parents, everything was good. But after that, there was a dramatic transition because she was in so much pain all the time, just constantly um, in her her recliner chair, just sleeping, smoking cigarettes. And as a seven-year-old boy, I felt this emotional disconnect. And there was a complete shift. It was almost like all the love and the mothering that she did for me, that she did provide, was completely cut off. And as a little boy, I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm I'm like all of these emotions. So I started acting out over the next few years and it became like I threw temper tantrums. I was always yelling and screaming and I was really like crying for help, but nobody Mm -hmm. understood because my mom didn't even understand what was happening to her. She was just always on pain medicines and falling Mm -hmm. asleep. Um, So eventually I became out of hand. They were like, what do we do with this kid? They took me to psychologists, psychiatric people, and they're just like, okay, let's put him on medication. Let's see, see what, what's wrong with him. And they identified me with ADD, ADHD, ODD, um, all of these different titles. They're like, we don't know what's wrong with him. You're all of these. Um, and then they put me on 12 different types of medications over the next five years, kind of trying to figure out what would help and what was wrong. Uh, one of those medications that they put me on actually led me to eating a lot. So I started overeating. And it became my main coping mechanism. So whenever I was feeling the lack of love or the sad or the anger from the disconnect from my mother, I would go to food. And it got so bad at one point where they had to put locks on the on the cabinet because I was eating all the snacks all the Mm -hmm. time. Um, Another interesting thing along that those lines is when they couldn't deal with me, 
a friend of my parents told them about this psychiatric place for kids where you can take them and leave them for like up to a month. And they ended up taking me there one time and it was traumatic. It's like, I think I was eight or nine and they took me to the ER and from the ER, this group of doctors took me to the back and they separated me from my parents. And I was screaming and crying because I was scared and I wanted to go and, and like hug my mom goodbye, hug my dad goodbye. And they grabbed me. There was like four massive humans that just grabbed me and started dragging me backwards. And I was throwing this temper tantrum and they injected me with something. And I ended up waking up like four hours later in a straitjacket, mm. just Wild. in the middle of the night in this hospital. And I ended up being there for seven days that time. And I went to that facility three times over the next consecutive years. And I was just incredibly um, intense on the psyche. God, no shit. <laughs> During this period of time, like when I was in fifth grade, I actually stopped going to school because I didn't get along with my teacher and I didn't, I wasn't having fun at home. So I, I think looking back, reflecting, I dropped into a very deep, dark depression and I didn't know what to do. So I was acting out and I stopped going to school. Um, I ended up failing fifth grade and repeating. And then the same pattern happened where I was like, I'm not going to school again. So I stopped going to school from fifth grade, fifth grade again sixth and seventh grade and I became truant truant is somebody it's a child under 16 I believe unless they've changed the law that if you don't go to school it's actually illegal to not Mm -hmm. go Mm -hmm. so my mom started calling the cops every day because they couldn't get me to go I just sleep in the bed and pretend Mm -hmm. like I was sleeping my mom would like fully dress me and everything and I just wouldn't go I'm like I'm not going going. (laughs) so they'd call the cops and then the cops would show up and they're like you have to go and then I'm like, okay, okay. And then they leave and then I go back to bed. Mm. And the, so many days they called the cops that the cops actually told my mom to stop calling them because it was right. a waste of their time. <laughs> but then when I was in eight, seventh to eighth grade, so seventh grade going to eighth grade, the same pattern was there. I just wasn't going to school. And the courts, basically the court system was like, if you don't go to school, you're going to go to jail. Mm. And <laughs> to backtrack a little bit, when I was 10 years old, I actually had gone to jail one time because my mom and I got into this argument and she called the cops on me and said that I was hurting her mm-hmm. when I was not hurting her. And they listened to the parent over the child. So I actually right. spent a night in juvenile jail detention, which was, that was fucking horrific. Yeah, no shit. But, <laughs> um, so I decided to make a change in my life in eighth grade and everything changed. I started losing weight at this point. I, I was like 230 pounds, morbidly obese. Um, I was insecure with my body, with my, my life. I had no friends and, they, they threatened me with this and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to school. And I actually went to school, made a bunch of friends, started losing weight and everything changed dramatically. Everything changed. I was like, mm-hmm. had this big group of friends. I was excited for high school and everything from my childhood seemed to be on the up and up. So mm-hmm. it was all this, like all these tough times and then everything was better, better. And then ninth grade, like right the transition into ninth grade, the, um, the housing bubble popped and mm-hmm. the economy crashed and my house got foreclosed. So we end up losing this house. And again, I'm confused because I don't really know what that means. I'm, I'm feeling it, but I'm not knowing what that means. And one day I walk in on my mom smoking crack cocaine. Mm. And at this point, I think I was like 15. Right. And I was just com- completely broken. I was like, what is happening? Um, I started crying and I was with a group of friends, which was pretty hor- horrific. But mm. um, it turns out later in my life, I found out that she had actually, she was addicted to drugs when she was in her 20s. And she was like on the streets, like homeless and stuff. Mm. And she ended up getting sober and clean and then meeting my father and having me. But so she was sober for 25 years and she ended up relapsing 
right. because of the stress from the economy crashing. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up telling on her essentially, like we were in this right. company or we were working with these um, therapists in DCF and they were like, you have to go to rehab. She goes to rehab, comes out and we're in a new apartment at this point. We transitioned from the house I lived in my entire life and she relapses in three mm-hmm. days. And it's just this constant drug addicted cycle back and forth, back and forth. And over the next uh, years in, in high school, over the next three years, four years, um, we actually couldn't afford that apartment anymore. So we ended up moving into the ghetto. And when we moved into the ghetto, it was just a really dense environment. I was with mm-hmm. my brother, graduated, gone to college. I was trying to keep my grades up in high school, make friends and keep my mind clear because there's so much negativity and so much anger and all this like this lack of money and this need for money is just very low vibrational energy within the home that I was like, I need to get out of here. Like my mom was bringing dangerous people around. She was on the streets um, doing whatever she needed to do for money. Sometimes using her body if she needed to. And it was just, it was, it was incredibly tough for my psyche. So I was like, I need to leave this, this environment. And I ended up moving in with my best friend, just him and I senior year of high school, Mm. best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Um, as soon as I changed, like everything changed again. So there's all this tough period and then everything changed. I found the power of now um, that completely opened my mind. I started yeah. meditating every single day. And I was like, wow, where's this been? I started learning about yeah, the There's ego. other stuff out here. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. I started understanding the interworkings of the mind. Mm. I started like healing all of that trauma that I had gathered from when I was younger. And I was like, my life was perfect now. Everything was good. I was, I was applying yeah. for scholarships. I ended up going to college um, and kind of got out of there. During college, I went back to sleep because I was partying all the time. I was mm-hmm. just drinking so much. I wasn't meditating as much. So that period of time doesn't really, doesn't, doesn't matter for this story. So then yeah. fast forward, I graduate from college and I'm confused. I'm lost. I have no idea what to do, but I stumbled upon Aubrey Marcus podcast and I started hearing about ayahuasca and plant medicines. And I had this like intense calling. I was like, mm-hmm. I need to do this. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. And I had no money, right? So I'm, I'm in debt because of college and I had no money, but I wanted to go on this retreat during the summer, the summer after I graduated. And I was like, I'm putting on our credit card. I don't care. I feel so called. I feel like the universe will back me up on this. Yeah. And so I scheduled it. This was like five months ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea how I was going to get money. And during the summer when I was there, I ended up getting in a car crash. Someone hit me in the back. And then I, I ended up getting $20,000 from the, the suit, like the yeah, lawsuit. Right. So I was just gifted $20,000 yeah, <laughs> abundance. Yeah. Uh, I went to Peru. I did seven ceremonies in 12 days, which was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And I was shown visions with my mom and all of these things and all this trauma that I picked up. And it's like, don't give up on her. I was like, okay, I won't give yeah. up on her, but I didn't, I had no idea what that meant. Right. I ended up, um, grad, or I ended up, going back home and then accepting a job right out of college, moving to San Francisco, working at a tech consulting firm, making like a hundred thousand in the first year, but it was like an $85,000 a year job. Hmm. Incredibly good financially. It was great. It's consulting. So it was awesome. Like you have a lot of freedom, flexibility. Um, But when I got there, I just wasn't happy. I was like sad. I was really sad. And over the next six months I was there in San Francisco one, one night I just found myself on the floor, just completely like bawling my eyes out, lost, confused, sad. And I had become addicted to freaking alcohol, uh, Adderall, cocaine, MDMA, um, nicotine cigarettes. I just, I literally anything to try to numb this pain that I didn't even mm-hmm. understand within me. 
And in that moment, when I was on the floor crying, I was like, I'm the biggest hypocrite. Like this is now I'm the addict. How did this come full circle? Mm -hmm. And I just, I knew I had to make a change. I just didn't know what that meant. Um, a few weeks later, a friend of mine was like, okay, you want to move to Miami and open an advertising agency? I was like, yeah, freedom. (laughs) Um, but during that transition before moving, so after moving from San Francisco, before landing in Miami, I still didn't have an apartment in Miami. I was just moving there. Right. I went to Columbia and participated in more ceremonies, uh, Mm -hmm. like seven more ceremonies over the new year. And it was incredibly powerful and incredibly healing. Um, and I had more visions, same visions of your mom, okay. help your mom, help your mom. Don't give up. I'm like, okay, well, whatever, whatever that means. I landed in Miami and, um, I magically manifested the perfect apartment and the, the digital advertising agency did not end up working out mm-hmm. because of, it wasn't built in, in truth. Um, mm-hmm. my friend had different views on how to conduct business. And I was always like very value centric and right. like wanting to give value to the customer and not really wanting to just get profits. So I didn't end up working out, but along this time, I still hadn't stopped partying. I was still right. partying and drinking. And I was like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my passions are, but I'm partying. Yeah. So I'm trying to like figure out this thing over there, what to do with my life, but I won't and haven't given up the drinking. And Especially the having moved to Miami. Exactly. <laughs> like, dude. It was the, it's so much party in that city. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so then as, as I land in Miami is actually the first time that the, the fit for service mastermind started. Mm-hmm. So it was like this merging of two different worlds because now I had a conscious community and I had never had that before. I was like, well, there's so many other people out there like me that are interested yeah. in consciousness and growth mm-hmm. and expansion. Um, so it took me to Sedona to really like wake up and have this awakening moment where mm-hmm. After Sedona, I came back and I was like, I'm going to do Sober October. And I decided to do Sober October and everything changed again because Mm. I I didn't have clarity. I didn't know what to do. But as soon as I stopped drinking and I cleaned up my my insides and my habits, my friend group changed. My purpose became clear. I ended up getting, um, months before that, I ended up getting certified in Gamma Breathwork and became a, a practitioner. And then it became clear how I could work with clients. So I started working with clients one-on-one. I started teaching meditation classes, doing workshops with my partner that I met in Fit for Service as well. And absolutely everything shifted again. Yeah. Ridiculous. And now this is where we are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so wild. And I think there's a couple parts of your story that I want to key in on because I think they're so impactful. But the first is that I, I hear this reflected a lot when people do perhaps they're and this is why I think integration and understanding the way the mind works is so important and really understanding trauma specifically. I I hear a lot of people go and they do like their first set of ayahuasca ceremonies. They do a set of psilocybin ceremonies and they're like, they're expecting everything to be magic and change immediately. And it even in the moment, like in the experience, it feels like fucking magic because it is, but they come out of it. And they can still be kind of lost because there's this there's this burden that trauma puts on you. And obviously you went through a ton of trauma that is not so, it's not removed at the drop of a hat. You don't just snap your fingers and it all goes away. You have to like go in, you have to dig that shit up and actively work on it. So it's it's so interesting to hear your story because you sort of had this like initial watershed moment. You're like, oh. I need to go do ayahuasca. You go do it. And you're like, I, I know stuff now. 
I fucking know what to do. But then you come back and it's like you you kind of, it's almost, and this is the way it was for me, you almost compartmentalize. You like take that experience, you go, you put it in a box in the back room of the head and you're just like, we'll not worry about that for the moment. I'm going to continue doing what I was doing. It takes a while to kind of get back around to, oh yeah, that's right. These messages, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. A hundred percent. And what's, what's ridiculous is that I actually got worse after doing ayahuasca. Like I, I got even more sad. And I think it's because I saw the extent of truth, yep. like everything 100%. was shown to me and the integration wasn't set up in the way. And I didn't have the community to really hold my hand during that experience. And if you don't properly integrate and if you don't process everything that you saw and everything that you brought up, it can actually cause havoc on your life as well. Absolutely. This is like one of the most I beat this drum all day because it's it's so important. But people, number one, if you have no one to talk to in your personal life about a big psychedelic experience, it's actually incredibly isolating because you come back and you feel so different and you know you just had this big experience. You have no one to talk to about it. So then immediately you're like, I'm alone. Like, although the experience is beautiful, and especially if you travel, like if you go to Peru, like yeah. you did, and then you're there and it's like this mystical experience. It just feels so perfect. And then you come back and you're just like normal life. It feels isolating. And then the integration is like, I don't know. It's the thing that's probably missed the most is just what, what's your action plan when you get home? Like you've been revealed these messages. What are you going to do about it? It's something that gets missed so often. And what's cool is that it's so true. And and not only that, not only the integration, but your paradigm is completely shifted. Mm-hmm. Like your worldview is expanded at such a ridiculous rate that you see things differently, but then you go back to the same environment that you were in before. And typically, like in my situation, at least, I didn't have a lot of people that had their paradigm shifted like I did. I didn't have people that talked about the world or saw the world in the way that I did. So I'm going back as a new person. To the same environment and then all the old inputs are just bringing me back down to the old paradigm yeah yeah i kind of look at it as like if let's say you, your consciousness is a campfire and maybe it's not burning that bright at the beginning because you're not that you're not that aware and you mm-hmm. go and do something like ayahuasca and ayahuasca is like dumping gasoline on the, the campfire <laughs> like your awareness is through the roof then you go home and if you want to extinguish that awareness, you have to double down on the bad shit you are doing. Like you can't just do half as much drinking. You have to do twice as much drinking and twice as many drugs because you're not going to be able to numb away that new self-awareness without a lot of other stuff. It's, it's so intense to think about. I never even yeah. thought about it like that. It's so true. It, it's, it's a so pattern true. I just see just like, and it's no judgment on people that experience it because it's such a common pattern that I think it's actually a piece of the human psyche. And it, it's one of the reasons I, I try to recommend to people to like, to take it in steps just to go like first, perhaps like a low dose psilocybin ceremony. And then you kind of get like a little bit of download. You're like, okay, there's a piece I can chew on. Like that's a, a bite-sized piece. And then perhaps a slightly higher dose and then ayahuasca. And then like, cause it, even the way it was for me, it's sometimes you get so much new information about yourself at once that you don't like, what am I supposed to do? I just learned a hundred things about ways I'm fucking up my life and I need to fix them (laughs) all. Like, uh, that's scary. I want to just put my head back in the sand. (laughs) 
<laughs> and another thing that people don't really talk about that much that I just, I, so I had been meditating every year when I was in high school or mm. every day for a year and it completely changed my life. But the style of meditation that I was doing was simply relaxing my mind. It was focusing on my breathing. Not once did I read or see or hear about putting your awareness inside your body. Mm -hmm. So people think the trauma is stored here. It's stored within your tissues, in your yeah. body, energetically trapped energy. So if you don't have practices or tools or guidance on how to go in and, and continue that work, you just kind of flood your system with trauma yeah. and then you're traumatized again, but you have no way of moving through it. Yeah, it's so... And I think people, when they first hear that, it's kind of like, oh yeah, whatever, like trauma stored in the body. Yeah, right. But it, A, there's a bunch of studies that are showing this now, but B, the example I like to give just because it's such a vivid example for most people is if a deer gets hit by a car, when that deer gets knocked over, the first thing it does when it stands back up is it shakes out its whole body. And it does that because it's keeping the trauma from being stored in the muscle tissue, in the actual fascia of the muscles. And so it does this shaking out process and all animals have some form of this. It's just us as humans no longer have that form of it. And it's the reason like if someone is weeping from their soul, like if they're crying so deeply, there's a shaking element to it. You're not yeah. just like sitting and just like, you, you're fucking shaking, you're moving or whenever you experience an extremely intense emotion. And that's the body has an intuitive knowing of like, oh, okay, let's, let's process this physically as well as mentally. So it's, it's such a key point that you make that because I started the same way meditation. It's like, cool, I've gotten very good at calming down my mind. And that's amazing. Like that's a superpower in and of itself. And it's super good. But if you don't, know how to take it further than that it's not necessarily going to fix traumas for you mm -hmm. yeah i had this incredibly powerful experience at vipassana like two months ago and it completely shifted my worldview because the whole meditation is a very energetic meditation where you're bringing your awareness through every spot in your body and you're becoming hyper aware of your body and all of the energy inside of it so you start to feel your body in a new way you can like you could feel the energy flowing mm -hmm where typically you can, you can think you can feel it, but most people don't really feel the actual energy. Right. Yeah, it's something I, I find very helpful advice for any plant medicine ceremonies as well, is that like if nothing's really coming up for you to just do a scan of the body, and if you notice any tightness anywhere, ask internally the question, where is this tightness coming from? And like people are shocked. I'm shocked every time I do it for myself. Like what comes up? It's like, oh, well, that's your left hip from that time when you were 10 years old and you fell over and you hurt yourself and your parents didn't come and help you out. And then you felt really abandoned and alone. It's like, oh, that's in there? Yeah. And the <laughs> body has a consciousness. Like yeah. it, it wants you to create a relationship with it. It's hyper intelligent. That's why it stored the trauma in the first place right. to protect your psyche. So if you create by like asking and just, kind of creating this real relationship with it it can show you things and it's beautiful yeah. so beautiful so let's talk a little bit about addiction because i think it's something that a lot of people struggle with and i think it's something that it gets talked about but it often doesn't get talked about in ways that i think are like helpful and that is either it's talked about in like well that person's an addict so we put them over there in the corner and we try not to think about them or it's talked about as like almost jokingly like oh i'm addicted to coffee haha -ha. mm -hmm. so what are some things that you feel you've learned in your path about addiction and that would perhaps be useful to someone who's listening who's like you know what i'm fucking addicted to whatever it might be 
Yeah, first, there's, you're right, there's an incredibly negative stigma around the idea of addiction. And first, we need to, we need to shift that. We need to expand and broaden the view of what addiction is, because it's not just the people that are addicted to drugs or alcohol that are addicts. Every single one of us are addicted to things. And the irony, the mask that you hide behind is the idea that you're not an addict that someone else is. And that separation is what makes you feel better then. But addiction, it's just, it's any habits or thoughts or, or behavioral patterns or even beliefs that are just not serving you. They're actually detrimental. And my path with addiction, I've been addicted to things my entire life. I got addicted to coffee and then I got addicted to alcohol, but I wasn't really, I never called my, considered myself like yeah. an alcoholic, but I was just drinking all the time, you know? Same. <laughs> so, um, but I think just really nurturing it and, and finding a community that you resonate with and then get, go into it and ask yourself, what is it that I'm numbing? What is it that I'm running from? Because the addiction, it's, it's trying to help you. It's trying yeah. to help you cope with something that's deep inside of you. So we can get to the root of what that trauma is. And it's typically young, when we're younger, like mm -hmm. in, when we're children or we can't even remember the trauma. It's just these habits that we started to grasp onto to help us numb this pain that we don't understand. Yeah. I and I love the way I think it's Gabor Mate talks about it in that addiction is a coping mechanism and it's a coping mechanism that probably the first time you did it actually worked really well. Like the first time you drank and you were trying to extinguish the feeling of pain that you're perhaps experiencing, it works really good. It's just, you can't do it forever. You can't do it over and over again in perpetuity. So it's like acknowledging that it's a coping mechanism that you created and at the time you created it it actually probably made some sense and because of that you don't need to beat yourself up about like i'm uniquely fucked up or it's just me i can't believe i'm this much of an idiot that i can't quit drinking but rather to acknowledge like okay that's a coping mechanism it's now deeply ingrained in me so it's going to take some work to undo however it's time to undo it and it's time to find a new healthier way to process things yeah. And when you, when you really find direction and you, you become passionate about something or you find something that you really enjoy doing, it's, it's so much easier yeah. to help you go away from that. Cause if you're not doing so for, in my case, for example, when I went to San Francisco and accepted this tech job, the reason I was addicted to so many things was because I wasn't aligned yeah. in my life. I wasn't aligned to who I'm supposed to be in this life. And if you're, if you're misaligned, if you're going off the path of what your soul asks for you, then there's going to be a lot of resistance. It's going to be very difficult and there's going to be a lot more pain. So as soon as I started closing that gap and moving towards truth, closer and closer to truth and aligning to the passions and serving in a way that I really feel fulfilled, mm -hmm. then they kind of just fall away because it doesn't do what it used to do because you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I like that analogy of like you're falling off the path and the further you are off the path, the more you have to kind of like numb yourself to not because like your soul or your spirit or whatever you want to call it your psyche your inner knowing of who you're supposed to be is screaming at you like hey moving to san francisco wasn't the move asshole figure it out <laughs> come on just get it and you're like mm, i think i will drink more tonight because maybe that'll make me happy I, I fell into the <laughs> same fucking trap i'm like oh it partying is really fun which it is like no doubt Everyone likes it. partying. There's a reason that people like it. Like it's not give the devil its due. It's fun. But when you're 
what I've come to realize in my more mature age, certainly not fully mature yet, but more mature, is that <laughs> partying's a lot better when I consciously opt into it ahead of time and choose it as a genuine celebration of things that I have done rather than as a way to escape from reality. Because it's in that second circumstance where you're trying to escape from reality that it creates this negative cycle because it lets you escape for six hours or 10 hours. But then that next morning, you're right back in your old reality. And it's actually worse because you're fucking hurting. <laughs> and you're hungover. And uh -huh. yeah, that's it's so fascinating because there's this like party culture and it starts in college. And it's just the thing that people do. And it's just so normal that if it's abnormal, if you don't party, so then people that wouldn't even necessarily party, they're doing it because they think they should. And then you become stuck in this like lack of energy cycle. Cause even if you were passionate about something, you wake up and you're hungover and then you feel that way a couple times a week and you're constantly drained. So you're never operating at max capacity and you can't even hear the whispers from your soul. Yeah. Like how can you align to who you truly are if you're just completely disconnected from that? Yeah. And this is where the trauma comes in. Cause it's like, for some people, they can go through college and they can party up a storm. But if they didn't have some of these trauma pieces in them, that'll kind of fade away as they like integrate into normal day to day adult life. They kind of go, mm -hmm. okay, that was college. That was fun. I'll set that over there. Now I have a job. I'm doing this thing. But for those of us with trauma, which is 80 plus percent of people, I mean, everyone has some trauma, but when I say trauma in this circumstance, I'm talking about like shit that you experienced, abuse, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. And with people have that piece of trauma in them, what it does is it, it, it kind of turns off your ability to, oh, how can I put this? It turns off your ability to moderate in a way that seems unique to trauma. So like if you don't have any trauma and I've met people like that who just like had really perfect lives pretty much the whole way through, they're able to go out drinking and have some fun with friends, but they'll have two beers and they're just like, I'm good to go. That was plenty. Yeah. And it's because they're not trying to fill anything. But when you have the additional component of trauma, then it's just so, it's tricky because it's like, it's sitting in there waiting for you. It's like, haha, ooh, Alex had a drink today. Let's, let's push the limits. More, 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 more. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So what do you find now, day to day? What are the things that are bringing you joy that, because I guess as to back up a step, like here is, as I started to take away drinking more and more and I started to find other things that filled me with joy, it really, when I first tried to quit drinking, it was like, I just tried to take it away and put nothing else in its place, which doesn't really work because then I was just sitting at home bored thinking about partying. So what are some of the things that you've started to like replace drinking and your negative habits with that you find to be now positives in your life that bring you joy? So exercise has been the biggest for sure, 100%. Um, but recently I started playing the flute and um, I have this intense calling to like the sound of the flute and it's so beautiful. So really like focusing and, and honing that skill. And um, also it's just like, it's, it's interesting because for me, the biggest addiction that I've ever had in my entire life was food. And that's so funny for, to, to tell people because most people yeah. are like, well, you need food every day. How can you be addicted to it? But because I, I built those patterns when I was, I was younger and I really became like hypersensitive and wired for sugar and fatty foods, today, even today, to this day, I still struggle with food. And it's because it's the moderation aspect. It's like yeah. I need food every day. 
but then that that addiction to me is like more and more and more mm-hmm. so really finding things that can keep my mind off of needing food or being yeah. hungry so it's really focusing on my business and like working with clients and i'm doing this workshop now and it's incredible it's just whenever i am in that workshop sharing my medicine mm-hmm. it is the most fulfilling experience and my heart is just blasted right. open and then people come back to you and they're like, thank you so much. You helped me with this, this, and this. And that in itself, that service is what helps me. That, that service is what I'm living for. Yeah. And that's what my soul has been living for even before I knew that. Because as long as I'm serving someone, I'm feeling fulfilled and it's like vice versa. So I think when people can really align to what it is that they're here to do, because we're all here with a specific mission in my, in my opinion. And once we align to that mission, it's in service to others. And that is going to be the most amazing thing you can never even imagine. Right. Absolutely. And what I find for people like you, people like me that have gone through some shit is it's, it's interesting when we're serving others and we're showing up and we're sort of serving our medicine, what it, it does is simultaneously you're serving this other person and you're helping them work through something at the same time, a part of your subconscious mind knows that you are showing up in such a way that you are breaking the cycle of what happened to you and patterns you have. So in that way, you're also serving yourself, which is like, I like, I like to acknowledge that piece because it's so, I don't know. It just brings me to a lot of emotion that like, there's a part of me that's internal. That's the little kid that went through shit. And that part is watching me as an adult go and show up and make sure that that doesn't happen to anyone else. And that little kid's like, yeah, you're doing it. Good work. (laughs) And like, that's my biggest internal cheerleader. And I'm helping him just as much as I'm helping the person I'm talking to. Yeah. It's an, it's incredible. It's incredible exchange. And although I had a rocky start with like plant medicines, plant medicines have been one of the biggest teachers for me, incredibly powerful for helping me clear all of this and understanding it from a different view. And one of them that I don't think is talked about as often, and I'm, I don't advocate that everybody should go out and do plant medicines, not at all. But some medicines that have powerfully impacted me, was one is combo, just like the, the one that you put on your shoulder. And it, it helps you to purge so much of the energetic trauma that's inside the body. And if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I'd be where I am today, to be honest. Yeah, there's so many different, like, I recommend to people just like do your research, because I think everyone kind of defaults to ayahuasca, just because it's the sort of it's the the big name in the room right now at this moment in time people like oh ayahuasca i heard about that i saw a documentary but there are so many of these other plant medicines wachuma combo psilocybin obviously lsd in very very careful circumstances i actually don't lsd it presents some problems just because it's such a long window of action um and it's hard to know how much you're actually dosing (laughs) um yeah but some of these things, MDMA too, in the right circumstance can be incredibly healing, healing, but it's finding where, which medicine is going to be best for you doing the groundwork beforehand. Cause like, this was something I fucked up in my first few ceremonies personally was I didn't really do this. I didn't do much groundwork on what I should be doing and how I should be doing it. I was kind of like, that thing's going to fix my problem. Cool. Mm-hmm. Let's go do it. So it's like figuring out which medicine is best for you. Cause MDMA, like if you have PTSD, man, MDMA with like a good therapist is going to fucking turn your shit around. But perhaps you're dealing with depression in that case, 
ayahuasca or psilocybin is really going to level your game up. Perhaps you're holding on to trauma directly in your body. Combo. Fucking here we go. Maybe you're (laughs) unintentional rhyme there. Um, And it's like, maybe you're dealing with addiction to opiates. Ibogaine is like second none in fucking helping people with their addiction to opiates. So it's just like, there's all these different tools in the tool belt of psychedelics that I think are just, it helps people to have a broad spectrum. Like you're saying, like different things they could take for different ailments. Yeah. And, and another thing is away from all the plant medicines is breath work. Yeah. Like if I hadn't stumbled upon this, this breathing modality that I got certified in, I would not be where I am today. It is incredibly powerful for releasing the, the energetic bonds within us, like the trapped energy, because that's all trauma is. It's just a ball of energy that's stored inside of us. It's like thought patterns and beliefs, but it's like stuck and we can't move it. So if you use like very specific focus and intention and you do these sequences, it allows you to move the energy up and out. And then you can take the, the energy because it's not just like it doesn't just release. It actually neutralizes it. And then you have free energy inside of you. And then you can take that energy and put all of that, that trapped energy towards creating healthy habits, goals, thoughts, beliefs, and all of these things. It's incredible. Fuck yeah. So I have a, I have a metaphor I really, really like when we're talking about like trapped energy and trauma. And then I want to ask you about breath work. But the metaphor is imagine that your body and your entire consciousness is like a hot air balloon. And this hot air balloon has a bunch of hooks in it that are holding it to the ground. And the hooks are each piece of your trauma that you have built up. And as you release these, you start to go up. But it's, we don't even, it's why people report like, oh, I I went through this big ceremony or I did this breath work and I just feel lighter now. It's because like you're literally physically holding on to something that is heavy internally and as you start to drop those things let the sandbags drop off the side you start to soar to the height that you're actually supposed to soar to it could be shocking to people how much how much less mental energy they're using because like if you know the way a hot air balloon works it's got that flame that's burning up that Mm -hmm. fills up the actual balloon well it takes a lot more gas to fill that hot air balloon up with hot enough air to make you move up if you have way too many sandbags on it so like you're using all this extra energy you don't even realize you're using day in day out and you start to get rid of some of these things they're like open tabs in the browser of your Mm. of your mind you start to close some of those tabs and like i feel smarter (laughs) (laughs) which is weird it's like i'm not wasting time thinking about what happened 10 years ago so let's talk about yeah go ahead before that so another perspective that a lot of people i think don't think about is that our, and this is my viewpoint, if it resonates and you can agree with it or whatever, but I think we come into this life as a soul choosing exactly what we're going to experience. So if we experience a shitload of trauma, that's, that's, a, that's so many lessons for us to alchemize and take the gems and the wisdom from. So then it transitions and instantly relates to exactly the medicine that we're going to be serving in this lifetime. So I think it's like, if everybody that's traumatized, if we can look at it as a beautiful gift, it's like, okay, why did I experience what I experienced? And then what can I extract from what I experienced to share with others? Because we're going through hell and back so we can help others get out of hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And everybody has that. Everybody has their traumas and their experiences that we're learning from. So I think it's just changing that lens and looking at a different perspective. Absolutely. And whether like, this is something I think people get caught up on, but it's like, whether it's, 
logically, concretely, physically true that our soul chose this body in this life doesn't really matter. What you just laid out is a really, really good story to tell yourself if you want to succeed. So like, even if you don't believe it 100%, yeah. start telling yourself that story and see what happens. Shit will start to shift. Because when you start to look at the negative things that happened in your life as positives, like what can I learn from that? That's, I mean, it's literally like, it's psychology 101. That's how people work through trauma is they need to be able to update. Like, let's see if I can tease this apart. Your brain holds on to traumatic memories because it is looking for a solution to the problem that happened. And if you never update that memory with a solution, let's say you get attacked on the street and you never do anything different, your brain's on overdrive all the time going, uh, Anytime we're outside, we might get fucking attacked because this asshole won't fix the problem. But it's like, okay, I'm going to go learn a martial art. I'm going to start carrying mace with me. When you take this story and you spin it in a positive direction of like, okay, cool. That happened. It fucking sucked. What can I do different now? That's what updates the brain's memory of that and goes, okay, cool. We fixed it. We don't need to ruminate anymore. We can move forward. Yeah. And just stay more in the present. Mm. (laughs) It's all we got. (laughs) beautiful present moment exactly so let's talk about breath work a little bit just lay out first of all i think a basic definition of what breath work is and then perhaps dive into sort of the specific version you do gamma breath work and let's talk a little bit more about it yeah so breath work is just like your first of all it's the original medicine it's like oxygen you know but i consider breath work to be intentionally and consciously using your breath to move energy so that can be anything. And there's, a, there's so many different modalities out there. The one that I work with, it's, it's not as well known. It's called gamma breath work. And it's incredibly powerful, but it's different. So most people know about shamangelic or um, holotropic breath work. Mm-hmm. And it's where you're laying on the ground for like an hour and a half and breathing very heavily. When people think about breath work, they usually think of that. But this modality, it's different because there's sequences of breathing. It's like a minute to two minutes each sequence. And it's more of like a meditative guidance thing. So a session, for example, a private session, we'd come in and we'd decide on a topic that somebody wanted to dive deep on. For example, if they have trauma or if they have addictions that they want to work through. They'll tell me a little bit about what that is. And then I'll guide them in these sequences. There's a couple different sequences that allow us to move energy in different ways. The sequences themselves, they're like um, encoded. I, I don't know how to really explain this, but essentially they are a pattern that allow you to go in very quickly to release energy. Some of them, there's like a processing breath, which is incredibly powerful for going in and releasing energy. And then there's other breaths like this amplification breath where we utilize all of that energy and put it towards creating. And it just allows you to guide them in a way that they, how do I explain this? Okay, so they tell me about what they want to work with, and then I guide them in a sequence, for example. And then when they enter the gamma state, which is the highest operating brain state that they have access to, you're very closely connected to your intuition. So as, as they enter this deep meditative state with the breath work, and I'm guiding them with different cues. So think about this, or what was the first time that this came up? Other memories start to come up. It's almost like they're, they're listening, so their higher self, their intuition is guiding them on how to release this trauma. And a lot of the time, if someone's trying to release trauma, and we do a processing breath, memories will come back that are connected to that trauma that they, they didn't even necessarily think were connected right. to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like going deeper and deeper into the onion 
and allows them to really get to the root of what that is. Mm -hmm. And so many times people are completely floored and amazed that they weren't even looking at what they were supposed to be looking at. Yeah. So in like an hour long session, it's different because you can use very powerful intention and focus to go deep on certain subjects. Mm. Yeah. I think it's so like, because we, we use so little of our brain in the day-to-day waking normal conscious state like obviously it's right i I shouldn't even say we use so little we are conscious of using Mm -hmm. so little of our brain in the day-to-day conscious state people really underestimate how how much access they have to memories through just breath work through meditating specifically on what's the earliest memory you have these different these different modalities to bring these things up, people are like, I've been shocked. I'm like, wait, that's in there? How do I remember that? I was like three. Like what? <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> so if you'd like, I can actually guide you in a quick two sure. sequences. So you can yeah, give it a try and the it. listeners can give it a try at home. If you're out there driving, pull over. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it, I promise. Okay, so just close your eyes, sitting up. Drop into your body. Breathe in and out through your nose. Feel the weight of your body becoming heavier and heavier, sinking into the earth beneath you. There's nothing to think about. There's nothing to worry about. Just be present, be here. Take this time for you. This is for you and you alone. So just listen, there's three different speeds. There's medium, which is three seconds. There's slow, which is five seconds. And then fast, which is one second. We're gonna be oscillating between mouth and nose, back and forth. And with the speed, the length of time, so for example, in mouth medium, that means breathe in through your mouth and it takes three seconds to completely fill your lungs. And you wanna use the max capacity of your lungs. Okay, on the inhale, and you want to use a lot of energy because we're going to be moving energy. So you're using more energy than you typically would for an inhale. So it could be in mouth medium, for example, and then out nose medium. Okay, and you'll get the hang of it as we go along. Okay, so now I want you to take inventory of your body, just kind of bring your awareness into your body and bring your awareness to any tension. Where are you holding on? any anxiety, any stress, any anger, just kind of notice where this energy is within your body. Maybe it's in your stomach or your solar plexus or maybe your heart. Just be be present, be aware, and just identify. Now I want you to tune into the last month of your life or since this whole coronavirus thing has started. I want you to take inventory of what your experience has been like. Have you have you picked up a lot of anger, anxiety, stress? What has what your experience been like through this transition? What is, if you've been negatively reacting or if you're in a very dark place because of what's happening to you, just take inventory of that. I want you to notice how it's made you feel. And I want you to notice where that energy manifests itself in your body. So if you are very uncomfortable and depressed, feel into that depression. If you're anxious or you're scared for your job or your financial health, feel into where that manifests within your body.
take 10 seconds to feel into that. Now I want you to amplify this uncomfortable energy as much as you can. So feel into it and, and become sadder, become madder, become more anxious, feel into it and amplify it within your body. Really make it known, allow your body to let it out in this moment. <clears throat> okay, and we're gonna do a processing breath. So in mouth, medium. Out mouth, medium. In mouth, out nose, slow, five seconds. In nose, out nose, medium. In nose, out mouth, fast. In mouth, out mouth, medium. In mouth, medium. Out nose, in mouth, slow. Out nose, in nose, medium. Out mouth, in nose fast. Out mouth, in mouth medium. Out mouth medium. Now keep your eyes closed, relax your body and tune back into that energy in your body. Be entirely present and take 30 seconds. Notice a shift. How do you feel? What has changed? Has any of that energy released? Just be present for 30 seconds. Be open to any memories, any visions, any experience that you have. Now, keeping your eyes closed, I want you to consider three things in your life right now that you're grateful for. This can be anything. What are you grateful for in this moment? Are you grateful for your health and your well-being? Are you grateful for this extra time that we have to create and bring things into this reality? Are you grateful for all the extra time to sleep in, to meditate? What, what are you grateful for? I want you to feel the gratitude in your heart. Feel every time you, you, you feel into that thing that you're grateful for and expand that energy with your heart as much as possible. And I want you to visualize and feel the energy expanding in every single direction as if it's filling with a balloon, becoming bigger and bigger, more and more grateful, more and more grateful. And this energy expands and keeps expanding even bigger than your body. And the amount of gratitude completely fills the room that you're in and you're smiling inside and out with so much gratitude in this moment. Now we're going to amplify this gratitude even more with an amplification breath. In mouth, medium. In more. 
And more. A little bit more. Hold. Out mouth, in mouth, medium. Out mouth, in nose, slow. Out nose, in nose, medium. Out nose, in mouth, fast. Out mouth, in mouth, medium. In more. In more. And more. Hold. And let it go. Keep your eyes closed. Relax your body. Relax your hands. Feel that energy pulsating through your mind, through your body. Be present for 30 seconds. I want you to notice a shift in your energy, notice any change. Be present with anything that's come up. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what we did there was we, we tuned into the energy that's in us that's not serving us. Low vibrational energy, the anxiety, the anger, the sadness. And then we, ex we, we magnified it. So we really identified where that was present in our body, but that's also signifying and telling the body that we're focusing on this energy this is the energy that we'd like to release. It is time to release it. So then we did a processing breath, which allows us to release that one layer. Typically I'd go deeper and deeper with a couple of mm -hmm. different sequences. And then we focused on things that we want to improve. So in this case, I chose gratitude, but you could pick anything. You could choose anything that you want to amplify or manifest into your life. And then we thought we used our mind, our imagination to visualize this thing and feel into the gratitude. And then we used all that energy that we had from the processing breath We freed up all that energy. And then we amplified it so that you can have more gratitude. Hell yeah. I love it. <laughs> I feel great, first of all. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, I'm brother. Sure, I'm sure people listening hopefully had, had headphones in because with headphones, so that was fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love breath work. And it's something that I think really does. It gets, there's a few of these adjunct therapies that I think are extremely useful. Breathwork is a big one. And the other one's ecstatic dance that I think are just so like, I think they're underrated or just kind of brushed to the side sometimes because it's like, oh, it's just your breath or, oh, it's just dancing. But like when you really allow yourself to fully go into it, it can be just mm -hmm. as impactful as a psychedelic journey. And sometimes even more because I think when you get something concrete and powerful out of a breathwork ceremony, your mind has a knowing that that was all you. Like I did that without any chemical assistance and that's impactful in and of itself. 
incredibly impactful. And we, we, I don't think we give enough credit to breathwork specifically to also dance and, and all of these movement things, but like breathwork is the original psychedelic. When you do enough breathwork, like especially with holotropic breathing and gamma breathwork, you're activating the same chemicals that you would take from the plant medicines. So you're activating the pineal gland, which releases serotonin and dopamine, and you have visions and out-of-body experiences, and you have all of the same experiences than you would on, on plant medicines. Yeah. Well, fuck yeah, brother. So one question I'd like to ask before the end of the podcast here is just what is the thing right now that is firing you up every morning when you wake up? What's the thing you're like excited about? You jump out of bed and you're like, oh, this thing is the thing I'm working on that is lighting my fire right now. So I'm really, um, Celia and I, we created this workshop last year and we've really been going all in on that. And it's incredibly powerful so that every day I wake up, I'm like, I want to serve the most amount of people in this workshop as possible because it's so beautiful. It's just like people had this, this felt experience and their, their minds are blown. And then my mind is blown and I'm fulfilled. And the more people that I can serve, the more fulfilled I am. So just being able, waking up and knowing and trying to figure out the best ways to serve people. Right now it's the workshop, but also posting content and like really sharing and breaking down my experiences so others can take value from that. Absolutely. I love it. And where can people find you online, Instagram, website? What's the best spot to get, get at you? Instagram, um, at Josh Nesta cool. and Facebook, Josh Nesta as well. So Perfect. if you have any questions or you want to dive deeper in anything, just let me know. I'm, I'm available. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, thank you for being on. One thing I'd like to do right before the end is take a second to honor my guest. So I'm going to do that for you now. And I've been telling people recently, I don't know how you are with compliments, but I suck at receiving them. So it's a good opportunity um, to practice if you're bad at it, which I am. I just want to say thank you, Josh, for being who you are, being a beacon of light as your, as your background indicates behind you there, hilariously, but aptly. And for sharing your medicine with the world unapologetically and really bringing value to people. I think some of these modalities like breath work and just the joy you bring to everything you do is so, so important and impactful at this time in where the earth is. So I just want to say thank you for bringing that magic to people and keep doing you. I know you will. And thank you for being on. Thank you so much, brother. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Josh has such a good, positive like energy about him. I really enjoy interacting with him. And it's just crazy to see how his personal story, just you know, dealing with all the stuff he dealt with growing up and helping his mom with her addiction problems and just working through all of that trauma as he's become who he is now is really, really inspiring because it, I think it shows a path that many of us can take to become better versions of ourselves. But if you enjoyed this episode, you can find all of Josh's social media links in the description. Go connect with him on Instagram. And as always, you can find all of my social media links in the description. And if you want to book me for one-on-one -on -one coaching, you can find that on my website at www.throughtheveil.co. And you can also find all of my courses that are available as well as my free guided meditation is on there that you can download and keep forever. So that's on www.throughtheveil.co. And that is it for today. Again, I hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, a five-star review and a written review on iTunes is super, super helpful to help spread the show, as well as just a quick shout-out on Instagram if you enjoyed it. 
Have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will see you next week.